0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This week, I sit down with Natasha Smith and Brittany Smith to discuss the heart behind their book, Unplanned Grace, and the work they do with Save the Storks. We live in a time where abortion has become so political that we often forget there are women and men facing situations that actually cause them to question if they have what it takes to not only give birth to a child, but to raise a child to adulthood. Actual human beings who are more often than not scared, full of fear, and sad. Not chanting, quote, it's my body and I'll do what I want. Natasha and Brittany talk about humanizing abortion, developing a heart of compassion and identifying the location and resources needed at your local crisis pregnancy center. My hope after you listen to this week's conversation is threefold. One, you will shift your mindset from abortion is wrong and everyone who believes otherwise is horrible. Two, abortion is often a choice made out of fear. Since every human is made in the image of God, and has value. How can I love and serve the woman making this choice? Number two, you will identify your local crisis pregnancy center, the location, the name, and how you can support them. And number three, you will share this episode with someone who needs to hear that there are followers of Jesus in the world who are pro-life and want to support and serve both the unborn, the mother, and the father. Let's drop into this week's conversation. Good morning and good afternoon, Natasha and Brittany. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having us.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation with you guys. And I always just start off the show asking my guests to introduce themselves, tell a little about their family and what they do. And so, Natasha, if you'll start us off, um, just with a little introduction. So, I'm Natasha.
0: I live out in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Love it there. I am a native of Michigan, though, and grew up on a farm out there. My dad's a pastor and missionary. So, that really shaped a lot of who I am today. And My heart for ministry in this world. And I work for the uh, pro life nonprofit Save the Storks. And over the last few years, I had the pleasure of interviewing women who had uh, faced an unplanned pregnancy. And and many of those stories are in this book. And I also did a lot of video production with them. And a new role that I'm just starting into now, based kind of uh, launching from this book, is more church engagement and ministry and creating more resources for people who are curious how to engage in this conversation and win some ways that could actually have a ripple effect to transform culture and help save lives.
1: Mm. Brittany, how about you?
2: Yeah, so I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. So we're actually both in North Carolina today. That's right. Um, <laughs> and but I live in Colorado Springs now. I moved out there two years ago to work for Save the Storks, and I'm their PR and content manager. So I do all the written stuff. That <laughs> it depends on the day, but um, you know, PR press releases, blog posts, um, donor relations, and um, any of the kind of marketing materials that we put out there. So, um, yeah, I've been out in Colorado for about two years now and love to explore the Rockies. It's very different than yes. from growing up in the South, but, um, it's been a great change.
1: Yeah. It's so different. I was, we were talking earlier before you hopped on to t- I was like, I remember the first time that I went to Colorado, I was so surprised. It's like Kansas. <laughs> until you get that's
2: right right. (laughs) exactly then you're like whoa mountains I know
1: I mean I just didn't expect that I think when you've never been there you just have this idea that the whole state is mountain and it's it's not that's not true but it's it's still beautiful uh it was just a surprise to me (laughs) exactly the two of you like you said work for save the storks and that is what has largely informed your new book unplanned grace and so What is save the storks? Give us a little bit of the backstory of how it began and really what their mission is today. Well,
0: Save the storks began by seeing the need of women facing an unplanned pregnancy who didn't know about the free resources in their local communities. And there's over 2,500 pregnancy centers scattered across the country that offer incredible care for women, material resources, counseling, free ultrasounds, and pregnancy tests. But so many people didn't know that that was in their community. And so Save the Storks, had this brilliant idea of how can we get those resources to the women who need them. Mm. And we started by building mobile medical units. So we have multiple sizes of buses that is basically a doctor's office on wheels and the pregnancy center owns and operates and staffs them with their licensed, um, you know, uh, sonographers and often a, a social worker. And they go out to where people are and offer free ultrasounds, pregnancy tests. Some do STD testing as well. And then that serves as a bridge to the brick and mortar that has even more resources and those social workers can connect those women with whatever the needs are that they may have. So that was kind of how Storks began. And then in addition to that, what we're doing now is we have a um, partnership program where we are coming alongside pro-life ministries and pregnancy centers and helping them thrive. And we do that through free conferences, trainings, marketing support, so that you know their community can know that they exist even more. And we do free rebranding and all of that just to ensure that they can be the best People to be able to serve them because it's a very hard job that they're doing, and we
2: celebrate the work that they're doing. Yeah, and one other piece uh, that Save the Storks also does is just kind of an awareness piece. So, we um, really want to kind of reshape the cultural narrative that is being put out there about pregnancy centers, about the pro life movement, and just about the topic of abortion in general. You know, it's a very Uh, often a very political and divisive issue. So a big initiative of Save the Storks is to change that narrative. You know, we want to tell the stories of women, whether it's through blog posts, whether it's through this new book, through a lot of videos that we've been putting Mm. out there, we have a robust um, documentary series of women who've chosen life through our pregnancy center partners. And then we also have a very large social media presence and you know, push because a lot of Gen Z women are getting their information on social media, on TikTok, you know, on a lot of these platforms. So we want to put out messaging and stories that um, can help them get the care and help they need through their local pregnancy center and, and reshift that, that narrative, that pro-life narrative that's out there.
1: Well, and as we begin to talk a little bit about the pro-life narrative and just abortion in general, Statistically speaking, what is the biggest reason that women get an abortion?
2: In my research for the book, um, we found that 73% of women, so the majority of women, choose abortion due to economic stress and factors. Um, And then also 73% of of women also reported that they're getting an abortion largely due to being pressured, whether it's from a partner, whether it's from a family member. So those are some of the top reasons that women are are feeling like that's their only option.
1: Well, and then what are, I mean, some of the circumstances that these really uh, abortion vulnerable women face? I mean, I know it sounds like the economic challenges, but maybe something a little bit more specific.
0: Yeah. In our book, we actually break it into three main parts that we've mm-hmm. observed, and each one has subcategories as well, but economics, uh, relational pressures, and then health concerns are really the big ones that we have seen. And with economic crisis, that could be, you know, maybe she's in a domestic violent situation or abusive relationship, and she is reliant on her partner for her housing. And so if you He, you know, says, well, if you keep this baby, I'm kicking you out. Well, now she's going to be homeless. And so that could be a pressure for her making her think because economically she's unstable. She -hmm. feels like she has to have an abortion because she's going to lose her home and her stability. And so it's a very complex issue when you start seeing some of these threads. And we try to do that in the stories of saying this is a hard scenario for so many people because homelessness is an issue at lack yeah. of employment is an issue, you know, and unfortunately violence and, and abuse is a real issue for many people. And that's why we have to have such big heart of compassion for those yeah. who are facing this choice, because it's genuinely hard and we can do something to support them and help them through it. But it's, it's certainly not an easy thing
2: especially for single moms, I mean, child care, trying to find childcare and also keep a job. Um, you know, that's not an easy situation at all, or, or minors, you know, a lot of teen pregnancies or women who, um, you know, are still receiving care and housing from their parents. They might receive pressure from their parents, or, you know, we have some stories in the book of parents who basically said, we're going to kick you out of the house, um, or we're not going to pay for college if you don't get an abortion. So, I mean, there's so much pressure surrounding this issue that, you know, it's not just a one size fits all Mm -hmm. problem or solution.
1: Well, and I think that's the thing As I think about it as well. It's really easy when you're someone who maybe is in a place where you have support, um, where you have a husband or a boyfriend who's supportive, or maybe your family says, Well, we don't really like that this has happened, but we're going to take you in. And we're, or just in general, you have people around you pouring into your life. Not that those people don't ever seek an abortion because I know people who have. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's easy for someone like me who has support to be the person chanting, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this and act in judgment. And so how can a woman, a man... Christians stop acting so angry about it and really start to see it from someone else's perspective from, from the person who's facing this decision?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's really why we tell the stories in this book, because we want to show that, like I said, every woman's story and situation is distinct and unique and they're, they're all facing pressures and stressors. We want to create empathy from people, especially the church. We want people to hear these stories and just gain an understanding of, of all of the factors that a woman is facing. And then also elevate the pregnancy centers. I mean, a big call to action in this book is getting involved with a local pregnancy center and getting the Mm. church involved. And I think even just taking that small step, you'll come into contact every day with women who are facing this issues and when you can actually put a face and a name to the issue that really starts to change people's approach and even hearts and minds on the issue
0: Mm. yeah
2: i was going to say the same thing humanizing the people involved
0: because our culture has done a great job in politicizing the issue Mm -hmm. and in that forgetting the people and this touches people it touches the men, it touches the moms, it touches obviously the unborn child and all of their stories matter. And even, you know, even those who might seem callous, like there's probably depths of layers that make that. So, and, you know, we need to have the heart of Christ of seeing like, oh, there's so, there's so much brokenness in the world and we all are a part of it. We've contributed to it and we are broken and we need, that kind of, of restoration. And we need, you know, we would want people to know our stories if we acted in a certain way, because there's probably reasons why. And I think through this book, that's what we're trying to do is help people understand like, ah, this really is hard. And I've, you know, looked into women's eyes who really thought that abortion was their only option and heard their stories and said, I, I get it. You know, you Mm -hmm. felt like you were totally alone and you had nothing to go off of, like, I, what, what would you do in that scenario? Because you feel so helpless and hopeless, but that's exactly where, you know, the church could stand up and offer that love of Christ and that hope that helps you see beyond your, your current circumstances into a whole new world. Mm.
2: Yeah. One thing um, I think is really hopeful about this too, is I mentioned earlier, statistically speaking, uh, the most common reason women get an abortion is because of economic stress. But to me, that's such a easy solution, right? Like, we can change that through meeting their economic needs, and that can, rather than you know, picketing or yelling or shaming women or or only framing it from a political issue, there's a very tangible solution to this. You know, housing finances, childcare. So I just think that even though, you know, it might seem like, oh, that's such a high number. But to me, the economic piece is just such an easy in to Mm. changing the tide of this.
1: Well, and so my question about the support, because so often we hear, it makes me so frustrated when things are so politicized, because Mm -hmm. it rarely, Does chanting outside of an abortion clinic change someone's mind? Right. It just doesn't. And rarely does it win them to Jesus unless you're at the back door praying for someone when they come out. And maybe that doesn't either, but I think that's probably far more effective. And so my question is, what is, what are some things that crisis pregnancy centers offer as we hear the narrative so much? Oh, all they care about is just the unborn. And then once they're born, who helps, uh, what are some of the resources beyond that that gets offered that are often missed in the arguing back and forth? I started two
2: years ago at save the storks. And, you know, I thought I had somewhat of a grasp of the pro-life movement pregnancy centers, but I was just blown away by how much more they offer. Um, they offer free ultrasounds, free pregnancy tests, um, for women who are Navigating their options. You know, there's counseling that they offer, options counseling. Um, they also offer after abortion support and counseling as well. So many pregnancy centers have trained therapists and counselors on staff or as volunteers who are there for women. Um, and then on a practical level for women who choose to parent, you know, there's parenting classes for up to two years after the baby's born. Uh, there's free diapers and clothing and formula that they offer. And then one of the organizations that we feature in the book is a human coalition. And they have a continuum of care program, which I just think is amazing. Um, they tailor their approach to each individual woman who comes into their pregnancy centers and they create an action plan. I mean, they have a social worker that walks with this mm-hmm. woman throughout the whole pregnancy. And even after the pregnancy to help her, you know, if is it housing she needs? Is is it a job? Is it escaping an abusive relationship? Whatever it is, they tailor it specifically to her to help her get on her feet, you know, and, and also adoption. I mean, adoption is a piece to this as well. Mm -hmm. many women might choose um, to place their child for adoption and the pregnancy center has adoption agencies that they work with that can help her through that as well. So there's just a wealth of resources available. And on top of that, they are saving taxpayers a total of $270 million annually in the free services that they offer.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. It's huge. One example of this, I have been blown away. There's a pregnancy center in Wasilla, Alaska, and I've got family up in Alaska. So I've swung by this pregnancy center a few times and met with them and I actually uh, filmed a documentary with them about their men's ministry and learned just so much about like, Oh man, they just have an amazing support for the entire family. In fact, they offer their community over 600 different classes. So no matter wow. where you are in the parenting journey, Uh, If you you have never been a parent before or you've got kids who are teens, they will walk alongside parents to help them be the best parents that they can because they realize to help their community, they need to break some cycles. And Alaska has the highest rate of child abuse and so many um, substance abuse issues. And so they are very proactive in helping meet that need and elevate the family, the whole family. And I had the pleasure of meeting different men who most of them didn't have fathers and they had no idea what to do with the the children that they had. And every single one of them is just thriving. And their backstories were crazy in some cases. And the pregnancy center was there for them too. And I was like, do you think that's kind of strange that you as a guy is going to a pregnancy center? And they're like, oh, I think every guy should come to something like this. Everyone Mm -hmm. should do parenting classes. Uh, and so it has a very wide reach, you know, when you're when you're helping people just love on others better and giving them tools to navigate the unknowns and have mentors who are there walking alongside you. It, it really does transform culture. And that same center is also the diaper bank for Alaska. And so they have this huge wow. warehouse of free resources, and they'll go and take it into the rural areas and ensure that those, people have those services and they're currently in line with save the storks to get a mobile medical unit so that they can actually take their ultrasounds and pregnancy tests out to even more rural areas where transportation is a real issue. So they're very proactive in serving their communities.
1: Hmm. I love that. I mean, I, cause I think even in my mind, sometimes when I think about, you know, crisis pregnancy centers, I think, yeah, like what, what is the follow-up They choose to have the baby or um, they choose to do the adoption. Like, what is the follow up? And I'm just thinking, you know, even connecting the women to other resources in their area to continue on is something that I'm assuming crisis pregnancy centers does as well. Is that correct? They do.
0: And they also will walk alongside those individuals for typically it's two years where they have parenting classes, right? And it's called an earn while you learn program. So as they take classes, they can get access to a baby boutique, which has new clothing. They'll have diapers, wipes, formula, whatever the practical needs are. So they can feel like they have ownership over providing for their child, especially if they have economic, um, you know, instability. That's a really great way for them to feel like they're taking ownership of their lives. And then beyond that, they will connect them to their local communities resources as well.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Most of them have a very robust referral program where they're, you know, whether it's for um, Medicare Medicaid, I always get those two mixed up. Medicaid. Um, Medicaid. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, you know, WIC resources, Mm -hmm. things like that. So, I mean, all of the pregnancy centers have huge lists of that they can refer women out to, to get, um, extensive help in the community.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about our role as followers of Christ and something that you guys wrote, um, women would rather go to God with an abortion than face their church with an unplanned pregnancy. It's time for us to do better When it comes to loving and caring for these women. So how can somebody like me, the local church, you know, love and care for these women better and not just the women who have entered the crisis pregnancy center, but the women who have had an abortion.
0: One thing that we have to keep in our minds as we approach this topic is there is a lot of very real fear there's fear of judgment and shame or being gossiped or having a label. One woman that I interviewed, she said, I didn't want to become a stereotype. And this is kind of the same cycle. And and she was debating abortion with her second child because she didn't want to have another kid in the scenario. And and so there's a lot of perceived judgment and shame. And it's not necessarily because the church is saying anything, but that's, that's just the guilt and shame of that scenario. And so we need to be sensitive to that. And I think in order to do that, well, we have to be plugged in and deeply rooted to Jesus and be constantly reminded of what was his heart towards Mm -hmm. people. How did he interact with those who are in this scenario? And I think an amazing example that I just absolutely love is from Luke 15. And in that that chapter, the religious elite, you know, come to Jesus and kind of look down their nose and say, how dare you be with sinners? And there there's so much judgment and shaming, even in their questioning, because they are re- elevating themselves above the other people that mm. Jesus is interacting with. And that can happen in our churches too. And we need to really fight against that because the reality is we all need Jesus and Amen. The, we are all broken. And, and Jesus never had a sharp word towards those who were broken. He, he spoke really strongly against those who thought that they weren't mm-hmm. and they weren't open and willing to see themselves. So we need to like keep that in mind. But in Luke 15, after that question from the religious leaders, Jesus tells three stories. And that's the, the widow with the lost coin, the shepherd who goes out and finds his lost sheep and then the prodigal son. And in that story, he says, you know, his son was lost and he was found. And that word lost implies value. It implies like, Oh, this is something precious and he lost it and he's going to do whatever he can to go find it. And you see that in each one of those stories, there's joy when it's found. And, and so I think we need to ask the Lord to shape our hearts, to see people and ourselves in the way that he sees all of us of mm. something precious and dear and lost and needing him to come and meet us. And and so I, I think what we can do as a church and body of Christ is, is ask him to shape our hearts, to be his hands and feet an expression of love to the world around us. And what we can learn from Christ is he went to where people were. He actively went to those who are lost and he Mm -hmm. goes out and he finds them and he meets their real needs. He's willing to engage with their practical scenarios. He heals, he restores people. And then he also goes into that deeper heart healing as well. And that's exactly what the church can be doing by helping people you know, get their physical needs met and then bringing them into this place where, you know, God can totally restore their heart and elevate them out of that cycle that they feel trapped in, you know, and and Jesus embraced people. He Mm -hmm. loved them. He didn't turn people away. And so if we as the church can start cultivating that kind of a culture in our church in our homes and mm-hmm. welcome people in. I mean, the ripple effect of that transformation can be astounding mm-hmm. and it, it starts with us. <laughs> you know, we have That's to be right. shaped by Christ so that we can pour out his love to the world around us.
2: I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, definitely believe that it starts with us and the Lord working in our hearts. And, and I also think on a, on a very practical level too, um, two things that churches can start doing is connecting with their local pregnancy center first and foremost. Um, You know, we found as we were doing this research that a lot of churches don't know where their local pregnancy center is, or Mm. they don't um, have, you know, a ministry necessarily that could speak to women facing an unplanned pregnancy. So, I mean, I think connecting with their local pregnancy center and, and asking them, you know, what are your biggest needs? Like, what do you need help with? Is it a diaper drive? Is it volunteers? Is it bringing someone in to speak to the congregation? I mean, there's a lot of ways that they can work together in partnership. And then also there's um, an organization that we feature in the book as well, that the founder, Amy Ford faced a very similar situation, had an unplanned pregnancy um, and, and ended up leaving the church because she felt judged. She felt like no one was talking about it. Um, and you know, through the Lord working in her life and kind of roundabout way, she ended up founding embrace grace, which is a ministry that helps churches reach women facing unplanned pregnancies Mm. and connecting with their local pregnancy center so that these women feel like the church is a place they can run to rather than away from. So I think those are really great ways of practically, um, implementing that in your congregation. And each chapter throughout the book has like a take action place where we
0: mm-hmm. say wondering where to start, you know, are you are you wondering how you can engage with this issue and then we feature different organizations or places you can connect with that engage those different topical points whether it's homeless ministry that you're really passionate about or it's counseling there is there are plenty of opportunities for the church to engage in a space that's going to touch the pro-life movement and the people who need it.
2: Mm. Yeah. And one more thing know we keep adding, but wait, please. Um, (laughs) a part about the book that I really love too. um, Natasha actually wrote all the prayers at the end of each chapter, actually. And we did another interview the other day and they made a good point of saying, you know what? A lot of people feel overwhelmed of where to start, but the first place we can actually start is through prayer, mm-hmm. um, and even if we don't know what to pray, we have a prayer written here just for you <laughs> with the word. So um, it's just a starting point, a jumping off point, and I think um, that's a beautiful reminder to just say, you know what, if we don't know where to start, first place to start we can pray about it, and then, and then that can lead us into more practical and tangible ways as well.
1: That's good. That's really good. As we talk about pro-life and how politicized it has become, that can so often take our focus off of the idea that God really does see every human life as valuable and is made in his image, even those who have not chosen to walk with him. And so when we think about it in that way, um, how can we go about, you know, focusing our attention On that aspect of a person, and you have kind of talked to this in the church already, but how can we just as normal citizens of the world, the culture that we live in, instead of that chanting of this is just a political move, become more empathetic because you guys write about that a lot in this book. And maybe you don't have something extra to share than what you already have, but I'm just curious of your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah. I think we mentioned it earlier with the idea of just humanizing it, Mm -hmm. like hearing people's stories and having compassion for the difficulties, because it's not just like, oh, no one should ever make this decision. You know, the reality is when we hear their stories and we understand where they're coming from. It might make sense to them, you know, but we we don't believe that abortion's the answer because even if they choose abortion, the the reasons why they chose it wouldn't necessarily change. They may still be in that abusive relationship, or they may still be um, in an economic crisis. And so, what we want to do is meet them where they are and elevate and eliminate those other issues in their lives that's pushing them towards abortion. Meeting them there, and then often the outcome may change. And even if it doesn't, we still need to be there to help and walk alongside them. So I think, you know, approaching them, hearing their stories, allowing them to share what's really going on and, and, and being shaped, first of all, by the Lord mm-hmm. and having his heart to see people as he sees them is so vital in this because, you know, he,
2: he cares about those situations. He cares he how hard their life is. I also think this is um, this is why pregnancy centers are so important, um, because no matter what, who you know, who is in office, what the politics are of your particular state, um, what the laws are. I mean, women are still going to be facing these difficult circumstances. They're mm-hmm. still going to be feeling like abortion might be their only option. So supporting pregnancy centers and getting the church involved with pregnancy centers to me is so much more important than yelling about politics because pregnancy trying to get a
1: law passed.
2: Yes. I mean, and I'm not saying that politics and laws aren't important, but I, I think that we lose, we lose the humanity in those arguments a lot of times. And, you know, we lose that ability to really connect with individual men and women who are Actually, facing these issues and facing this choice. And so, you know, pregnancy centers are at the forefront of this, no matter Mm -hmm. what the laws are in their state, because they're working with men and women every day who are in crisis, who are coming to their centers. Um, And I I think, you know, the political stance is saying there's only one answer, you know, but the pregnancy center is saying that there are many solutions, there are many answers, and we can help you walk through them um, regardless of what the politics are.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And so tell me with this book, um, unplanned grace, which I love the name, what a great name for a book. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. what is something, you know, in each of you can talk to this, that you walked away from the writing. Cause it's so many people's individual stories that you were just like kind of blown away by what you discovered.
0: Yeah, that's a great question what was so encouraging to me throughout this process, because uh, I wrote most of the stories and then Brittany did a lot of the work of researching the organizations that helped meet those needs. So that, mm-hmm. that was what she um, put together. And so for me, I learned so much from her research of just how many resources there are. Mm. I think that's so exciting to know, like, this is not just, you know, there's, you know, five little centers scattered around the country trying to do something. There are thousands of pregnancy centers, and then there's multiple thousands of other organizations that are helping this issue. And I think with this issue, it feels, it's, it feels so big and it feels impossible to do mm-hmm. something, but there's so many people doing something already. That we can walk alongside, we can join something that's already happening, or we can be inspired. Like, oh, here's someone who saw the economic crisis and they created this amazing program. Maybe I can do that in my own community. Mm -hmm. So, that, yeah, that was just such a joy for me to be pretty like blown away by the
2: organizations that exist and how holistic their
0: care and concern is for these people involved. Wow.
2: You mentioned earlier on, and one of your questions, but a criticism that pro-life people get a lot of times is, you know, we only care about the baby. Um, and so I think in doing the research for this book, just to echo what Natasha said, I mean, that's just false. That's a false mm-hmm. accusation. Um, because there are so many organizations out there, um, debunking that accusation and there are, you know, so many, I mean, close to 3000 pregnancy centers across the nation that are doing this work on the ground, meeting with women. Um, so I think that was just a really cool thing that to, to discover that and to see the people doing this work and to be able to definitively say like, that's just not true. And also I think it's great too, because, you know, one of the big things we, one of our big hopes for this is that, There can be some common ground in this debate between pro-choice and pro-life people, and we can say, you know what, we actually both really do care about the woman, we care about the family, and we want to provide holistic solutions. and And here's a bunch of them that we, I mean, we have a ton of solutions. So taking the politics out of it and really kind of looking at some of the common ground um, has been very inspiring, and and it's been great to see other people um, who are also doing that work. You know, one of our CEO's big motto that she tells us all the time is we want to bring unity to the pro-life movement. You know, we're all on the same team. We're all working towards the same goal. And there's so many people with different giftings that are using their skills to do that. Um, So I love how comprehensive it is.
1: Oh, I love that. Especially since sometimes we hear so often from the pro-choice side is that we can get in our minds that sometimes it's just like, oh, but it's the woman's right to make, you know, do whatever she wants whenever she wants. And I'm like, when you say the statistics of why people choose abortion is economic crises, well, that doesn't have anything to do with them actually really just feeling like they ought to be able to do whatever they want with their bodies. hundred percent. Yeah.
0: So often it really stems from a, a victimization almost, mm-hmm. you know, of like, they're a victim to their circumstance. And that's why it doesn't feel possible for them to parent because they're not ready yet. You know, they can't provide Mm -hmm. for it yet. And so even with that, you see a heart of a desire to parent Mm -hmm. eventually. It's just right now, it seems impossible. And there is a wealth of support that they don't know about that we want to help connect them to. And a, a big verse that came to mind when I was, Writing, um, or uh, even before writing this book was, um, in one of the prophets, it says, you know, my people are perishing for lack of knowledge. And we see that like people who just don't know what exists and that's a tragedy. And if we can do anything to help people just know, You know, we're not saying you don't have a choice here, but we're saying, do you know your choices? Do you know how this is going to affect your life? Because no matter what you choose, life is hard. (laughs) No matter what you choose, your life is going to change. And we want to ensure that people know what those are and know the support systems around them so that Mm -hmm. they can truly have that empowerment to make the best choice for them. And abortion, the abortion industry says that's, you know, that's going to be abortion. And that is your, you know, your gateway to success and fulfilling your dreams and all of that, which is again, so false because the women that I've talked to who thought that now with their child, they say, oh, he or she helped me have a better life. I decided to get out of my, like the the poverty mentality or the victimization that they felt because they wanted to be the best parent that they could be to their child. And now those people are entrepreneurs. Now those people are going off into law school so that they can stand
2: up and do something and help other people know about the resources available. And one thing that also stood out to me too, is that even women who chose an abortion, the pregnancy centers don't. Say you know what you chose that we're not going to help you, um, or you know we're not going to talk to you. That's the complete opposite. They are mm. offering after-abortion care and counseling and groups, and and even women who have had abortions in their past and then decide to parent. Um, you know later on, they've gone. You know there's stories of women who have gone to the pregnancy center and said, you know what. I need healing for my past abortion. And Mm -hmm. I also need help to parent this child and the pregnancy center has been there for them.
1: Wow. So as we close up let's say we fast forwarded 10 years down the line, what would be one of your hopes to come out of what you've written in Unplanned Grace?
0: My hope would be that this book would truly be a catalyst of change for the church. Mm -hmm. Too often this topic has been avoided because it seems so politicized. And the reality is, people within the church need to hear the message of hope, the message of healing. They need to understand the value of life and the value of their own lives. And so, I would hope that the church would get more involved, connect to the local pregnancy centers, offer healing groups or support systems within their church, and just really start doing something in their local community because. Mm. I mean, there's over 300,000 churches in America. There's 3000 roughly pregnancy centers in America. We can do so much together. And it's a tremendous opportunity to really revolutionize and transform the country, not through top-down politics, but by serving people, which is what the church is called to do anyways.
2: Hmm. Love that. I would say all of those things, (laughs) plus... um, I really just want people to know how many resources are out there and how many choices are available to them. And I also would love to see the pregnancy center be the first place that women facing unplanned pregnancies Mm. turn to um, because they know about it and they know that they're not going to be shamed or judged. And they see it as a safe place to really process what they're going through and know that they're going to find the help and resources that they need.
0: Yeah, because pregnancy centers
2: offer all of their services
0: at no cost to their clients. So it really is an incredible place for anyone who's facing, you know, the economic stresses or, you know, any stress with an unplanned pregnancy.
1: It's totally free to them. Yeah. Mm. Well, ladies, thank you so much. If someone wants to learn more about Save the Storks, I am assuming it's save the That is correct. Yes. And then Unplanned Grace will be available everywhere, I think. Yes. And you can learn more and and
0: watch uh, stories of women who are featured in the book on unplannedgracebook.com. So you can order through that and watch true stories of women who've been transformed.
1: Thank you so much for being here today. I'm grateful for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having us. If you don't know the name and location of your closest pregnancy center, I hope you'll take some time to find it and learn more about the work they're doing and how you can join them. While you're in your podcast player, take a moment, copy the link to today's conversation and share it via text message, email, or on social media. I would love for you to help me spread the word not only about Grace Enough podcast. But about this message on abortion. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough podcast.
2: Tune in next time.